Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. How's everyone doing? I pray everyone's doing well, healthy and well, and we have some things that we are, are, are praying for uh, as, a, as a church still, and um, we're, we're still just, um, uh, just alongside, you know, we're continuing to pray for, for Jessica as uh, she's going through what she's going through, and, and this week um, they lay her, she lays her father's uh, body to rest. We are praying for Vanya and for their family as her uncle, who's taking a, a father, Leroy, in her life, has passed as well. And we just want to pray for comfort over her family as uh, she's also getting ready to uh, enter into the anniversary of her father's passing as well. So that family's going through a lot too. So there's a lot to pray for, amen, in the midst of everything. And, and hopefully you're in tune to that and, and, and you're just uh, praying alongside us and uh, just grateful for that, that we're able to do that together. Hallelujah. Today's message, if you're taking notes, go ahead and, and write this down, <clears throat> maybe on your notepad or on your smart device. Um, it's titled, What's Your Story? What's Your Story? You've ever seen someone, maybe, maybe you introduce someone, introduced to someone, or maybe you go out to a dinner. You know, you're, maybe you're married and your wife says, hey, we have a, the company dinner or the Christmas party, and you sit across the table from that one person. Have you ever been there? And you just listen to that person talk, and you're just like, What's this guy's story? <laughs> All right. Well, I have. I've done that. What's this guy's story? What's this girl's story? Um, and and that's, that, that's my message today. What's your story? Um, last few weeks before Palm Sunday, as we did that, and we um, entered Palm Sunday last Sunday, we were in a series of messages, a series of messages that we titled, We Can Conquer. How many of you remember that? We can conquer it. <clears throat> and that's what this weekend is a reminder of. Think about that phrase, we can conquer it. And we think about this weekend, and we think about today specifically, resurrection. And resurrection is not celebrated once a year in a believer's life. Uh, but it, resurrection is an encounter in our daily lives. You know very well what I'm talking about if, you've, if you're walking with Christ. Yes, there was that initial resurrection that happened, that moment of salvation. But resurrection is a constant encounter in all of our lives. It, it, it concretes, when you think about that word, it concretes our belief. It, it concretes our faith. I, I ended worship with 1 Corinthians 15. And that's what Paul is saying. And, and I'll read it again, just in case you didn't catch it during worship. In 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 12, I'm going to read 12, 13, and 14 again. In verse 12, Paul writes and he says, But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Think about what Paul is saying there. Holman Christian says it this way, and if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is without foundation. And so is your faith. Imagine, imagine having a faith and living this life and, and having this, 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 this God in our lives. We, and, and many live like that with a God, but yet there is no true foundation in what they believe in. There is no true foundation in the God that they worship or the idols that they bow down to. And that's what Paul is saying here. If he's not been raised, then, then, then we're without foundation. The things that we say, what we speak about here, when we gather together in our homes or even here on a Sunday, it has no foundation and our faith has no foundation. It's not rooted in anything. Eugene Peterson says it this way. If you've become believers because you trusted the proclamation that Christ is alive, risen from the dead... How can you let people say that there is no such thing as a resurrection? It's a question. He says, if there's no resurrection, there's no living Christ. And face it, if there's no resurrection for Christ, everything we've told you is smoke and mirrors. And everything you've staked your life on is smoke and mirrors. 
Not only that, but we would be guilty of telling a string of barefaced lies about God. All these affidavits we passed on to you, verifying that God raised up Christ. Sheer fabrications if there is no resurrection. So we, we look at some of these words and we look at today and we say, well, we believe in, and amen, we have victory. And we can triumph and we can conquer it again and again. We are more than over, overcomers because Jesus Christ is alive and he rose from the dead. So guess what? Our preaching has power and our faith has substance. How many of you could say amen? So we could triumph and we could overcome and and we can conquer. And when you look at the definition of those things, right? To triumph, it means victory. They all mean the same thing, right? It means success. But I love when it means to have joy over victory. Joy over success. And you'll never truly, and we went over this when we were talking about we can conquer it. You'll never truly understand triumph or, or victory or success. What it is to overcome. Or the joy that comes with it. If you've never first experienced the pain of losing, of being unsuccessful, where you've gone through the moments of being defeated. What did I say a moment ago? I said, if it wasn't for his death, there would be no resurrection. And if it wasn't for his resurrection, we would not honor even the death. So, so think about this. There had to be pain and there had to be suffering and there had to be a, a, a sort of a sense of, man, I feel like I've lost. I feel like I've gone through the ringer. I feel like I've been crushed. This is part of our, of our lives. This is part of what God is doing in us. It's conflict. It's opposition. It's, it's things, giants, as we spoke about in those last few weeks that we have to overcome and conquer on a daily and finding it in Christ. How do I have joy in these things? Um, Thomas Paine says this, the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. If something is difficult and you overcome it, isn't it beautiful that, that award, that reward that you get from it? Because it wasn't given to you easily. It's not something that it was just given to you. No, you don't know the fight I went through. You don't know the burden I went through. You don't know the ache I went through. So, so this thing may seem foolish to you, but it has a story behind it. And this is what it means to me. I went through it to receive this thing. And that's the reality of the Christian life, man. That, man, conflicts can be hard. And the harder they are, just overcome, continue to go forward. Because the more glorious it is when you triumph. I was, I was listening to someone this week. And he said, and he was speaking, he said something like this. You'll never know joy if you've never known pain. Because the, the, the ability to really understand joy and to steward that joy is to understand the process of pain. If not, joy is just taken lightly. The reward is taken lightly. But the reason why it's not, it's because we have a story of pain. We have a story to tell. That, hey, everything is not as joyous as you think. Let me tell you the whole story. And that's a beautiful thing to have. It's a beautiful thing to have under our belt. He says this, pain has a way in which causes you to truly be grateful and joyful. Does it? Does pain have a way in your life <clears throat> where it causes you to truly be grateful and joyful? I want you to think about that because Paul writes about a pain in his life. He talks about a thorn in his flesh. And he talks about praying to the Lord. And I've asked the Lord to take it away from me. And three times the Lord has replied back, no, my grace is sufficient. And Paul understood that, wait, this stuff is given so I don't boast in myself, but that I could boast in him. And, 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 and Paul would come to a point of his life where he would recognize my pain is actually a place where I have found joy in. I want, want you to think about that for your, in your own life, how true that is. Think about the pain. The suffering that you may have endured or maybe you will endure in your life. How about the ones you've had endured? Here's the question. <clears throat> in the pain in which you've endured, you suffered, how have you allowed it to bring out a greater you? Have you allowed it to bring out a greater you? Has it transformed you? Has it made you into the image of Christ? That pain and that suffering. Think about it. 
I love these three things, and eventually <clears throat> I might get into it. Maybe I'll start preaching it next week. But here it is. Suffering unleashes endurance. Endurance unleashes character. Character unleashes hope. And we need the suffering to bring forth the endurance. And in that suffering, as we endure in that, it does something to our character. And when our character is shaped like his, we find hope in him, in Christ. And I'm here to tell you, as we get through this introduction, that you have it in you, wherever you're at, whatever's been going on, whatever you're praying for, whatever's happening next door, whatever is happening, that you have it in you, whether it's to come back, whether it's to stay strong, whether it's to keep fighting, whatever it is, man, you have it in you to go forward and forward with a force like you've never had before. You have it. Why? For the sole fact that Jesus Christ has risen and he's alive today. Come back. Every time we mention come back, we've done that here we immediately think of the number one comeback story. And I think it's the most popular. It's Rocky. And the theme. And, and, and you think about the song, The Eye of the Tiger. And, and everyone loves that. I love it. I love, and I've shared this before here. When I'm watching sports, I love to root for the underdog. I just think it's, it's fun. Or, or if there's a sort of fight or a sport, the underdog story is always, it, it's always it's fun. It's, it's good to see them win. It's good to see them fight back. It, it's good to see, like, the team that only has, like, 20 million in, or in the roster beat the team that has 150-something million. And it's like, how do they do that? And there's a fight in them. There's a grind in them. And, and, and you kind of go for those people. And you kind of, and that's kind of the whole Rocky story in a sense. But it's crazy because you study the Bible. And the Bible is full of stories like that. From the beginning to the end, we read story after story after story. And, and, and there's popular ones, but there's some that are not as popular characters. I mean, you think about Moses, and Moses had to go through it. We, we spoke here for a few weeks about Joshua and Caleb. Think about what they've gone through, and we think about Joseph. Think about Esther. Of course, you're going to talk about David. These are popular stories, okay? You, you, you speak of Samson. You speak of even Lazarus uh, in the New Testament. But there's so many that I'm leaving out. Other names that we could mention, like, oh, I need to go back and read that because I'm not even familiar with that story. But, but story after story, the Lord does something um, in these people's lives, and he does a mighty work in them. And, and today I want to look at a story that we've looked at in times past, and it's, it's a popular story, it's a known story, it's a, a miraculous story, an uh, encounter that happened in the ministry in the life of Jesus, and it's found in Mark chapter 2. I think you're going to be blessed by it. And we're going to read verses 1 through 12, and we're going to go through it. So open up your Bibles there to Mark chapter 2. And as you turn there, we'll look at this story, and I want you to see how the way God works and, and, and how he saves and, and the heart of God, the heart of heaven. And we see that in Christ Jesus in Mark chapter 2. And we also see as we're talking about this comeback and, and triumph and overcoming, we see this through the pages and through the words of Mark chapter 2. Dur during this season, we, we can't help but focus on the cross, yes, and on the resurrection. And, and, and I want us, though, Mark 2 is not necessarily about a cross or a resurrection. It's all over that story. It's all over uh, that encounter. That through the cross, through the, through the resurrection, we see that Christ is doing something specifically to a man in this story. And what he's doing to this man, I believe it's not just resuscitating this man. He's actually showing resurrection and bringing forth resurrection power upon this man and for all to see. And those are two different words. The word resurrection, to resurrect someone and to resuscitate someone are two different things. Do we all know that? To resuscitate someone is to restore to consciousness, to revive someone. That's what that means, to resuscitate, just revive someone. And many are qualified and able to do this. Many have achieved in resuscitating a person, in restoring their conscience, reviving their heartbeat. Our doctors and all kinds of medics have done it. Maybe it's through CPR. It's possible, but resurrection is totally different. To resurrect is to bring back into use, to make something which is dead alive again. 
And when you think about that, there's not many people that we know that could actually do that, that could walk into a morgue and look into the still eyes of a cold, lifeless body who's maybe been dead for some days and command that body to live again and that life comes back to life. We know that story of Lazarus. And, and, and we, we, we hear of this, and that's to resurrect. Like, I don't know much stories like that. And in Scripture, I read stories like Elijah. I read stories like Elisha. I read stories of the apostles. I read stories of Jesus. And, and many of these who raised people from the dead. And, and I'm just like, wow, like, that's an amazing thing. Like, I've, I've done so many funerals and I've been, and, and, I've, and I've stood there before so many bodies. And there's always been a part of me like, man, like, if, if that could just happen right now, like, in front of all these people, just rise up. You know? And, and sometimes I'm like, God, he's, he's able to do it. He's able to do it. I mean, scriptures, it's all over scripture. And, and, you know, sometimes you don't know the thoughts that I have, you know. I think about the prophets in the altar. Like, well, one time they kicked everyone out and they had to lay on top of them and put their hands on their hands, their mouth on their mouth. And I was like, I don't know if, I'm, if I should do this here. And if you've done a lot of funerals, these are things that you go through. You're like, man, I, maybe this person could rise up right here and, and show that Christ is alive and Christ is real. But I read stories like, like these men, and even stories like a, a man that was born in the late 1800s, died in 1947, if you know of him, Smith Wigglesworth. My God. I hear stories of this guy and stuff that he's done, and I'm just like, what is it? What is it about these men, how God used them and did a mighty work through them? I, I don't know if you've ever read this story before we get into Mark 2. In 2 Kings chapter 13, I won't get into all of it, but it's... It talks about Elisha, the prophet, and Elisha dies, and Elisha's buried in chapter 13, verse 20. And, and what happened was there was these raiders that, was, that would come in around this time of spring, and there were Moabites. And in verse 21, it says, when the Israelites were burying a man that had died, they were basically going through the process, through the funeral process of this man that was dead. This is someone's child. This is someone's maybe husband. This is someone's family member. It says that they saw that the raiders were coming. These Israelites saw. So they said, okay, we got to prepare. We gotta, they're going to raid our land. We got to prepare for a battle. So in 2 Kings 13 verse 21, it says that they threw the corpse into the tomb of Elisha. They were right by Elisha's tomb. They opened it up. They, they just threw the dead body in there and they closed it up. And all right, let's get ready for the raiders. But something happened in that tomb. And this, it says that they fled, but as soon as that dead body touched Elisha's bones, it says that the dead man revived and jumped to his feet. Can you imagine that? Kicks over in the tomb and everyone just sees like, what are you doing? We just, we threw you in Elisha's tomb. And, he's, and, and, and you, you, you think about that story and I said, whoa, Elisha had resurrection living in him. And not even the dead was able to stop it. The bones of Elisha were in a tomb, and yet the very bones brought back life into that, man's, into that man. And I said, this man's bones were, were, covered, were covered with this right here, were with resurrection power. And even the dead can't testify against it. The dead can't hold resurrection down. And when you have resurrection alive and living in you, what does it do? It says it in the Old Testament, it shows it through Elisha. It shows it in the New Testament with Jesus. When you have resurrection alive in you, it conquers the grave. And the dead and sin can no longer have any kind of hold or power against you. That's what the resurrection power of Christ does. And it gives Paul's words a whole new meaning. It gives Paul's words a whole new understanding. When you read it, doesn't it? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54 through 57, when Paul says... Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. He gives us the victory. Through what? Through Jesus Christ. Think about that for a moment. Paul is writing and is testifying that death does not have the final victory. So during this time, we're praying for some that have passed, for many that are sick, some that are fighting. But the believer says, 
Death doesn't have the final victory. Death does not have a sting. These people, when they pass on, they breathe their first breath. They, they take in their first breath in their glorified bodies, if they're in Christ, to live and reign and to fall at the feet of Jesus forevermore. I mean, it's a, it's a promised resurrection for every single person. Let's get into Mark chapter 2 and, and, and let's receive from it. And let's see what God speaks to our hearts. Mark chapter 2, uh, verse 1. You're there? Amen? We're all there? Mark 2, 1. It says in verse 1, it says, And again he entered Capernaum after some days, the headquarters of Jesus' ministry. A lot of where Jesus was doing was, was at here in this area. And it says, And he heard that he, that, and they heard, and it was heard that he was in the house. Verse 2, Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And look at this, and he preached the word to them. I'm going to pause as we go. Stop here for a moment and, and just watch what's happening here. So Jesus comes into this town, and as he's there, the crowds are so thick, there's no room for them. By the door, you can see the, the windows are open. The people are by the window to try to listen to what he's going to say. People are by the door trying to squish up. People are tight against each other. And what does Jesus do in verse 2? It says, and he preaches the word to them. The first thing I get in these verses is, I love how Jesus' main concern here is to preach the word. He's here to give them truth and to share truth to the masses and to the crowd. And the next thing that I see that I love here is, we see how the ministry of Jesus, that the life of Jesus, have you noticed how it attracts many? Think about who Jesus was and what Jesus was doing. He's in this house and and no no one's just going to follow anyone like the house is slammed, the outside is slammed, and, and, and everyone is around to see what he has to say next. And the first thing that he does is he begins to teach the word to them. And that is, that's his priority, that's his aim, <clears throat> that's, that's what he wants to do. He wants to root them in the word. And then we read verse 3 and 4. It says, then they came to him. So remember, it's a massive crowd. They're in the house. It, it, it's full of people. And what, what do they do? They, they come to him. And verse 3, they bring a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. What a sight, what a scene, what a moment. This is a very known story in the New Testament. This is a story where many people are like, I wish I could be there, and I wish I could see this. There there are many of these miracles that you would just want to be a part of, like the feeding of the 5,000, would have loved that. Lazarus would have loved to have been there. This one would have loved to have seen this. And, and, and you could see that the roof, the clay starts to break through and it starts to fall on the people. And everyone's starting to look up. Jesus is starting to slow down his, his speech. He's starting to stay quiet. And he's like, okay. And they start to lower this paralytic man from, on a mat down to where Jesus is. Most likely, most of us, if not all of us, have heard or read this story. Maybe we've studied it. We've studied it here before at our nest. But let's look at verses 1 through 4 so far. What do you see? This is what I see. Write your own notes as well and see what you get out of it. I see that there is a heavy, heavy desperation in this place. People are desperate all around. First off, the crowd is desperate to get to Jesus, to hear from Jesus. People inside the room are desperate. Then there's five guys on the roof, one laying on a mat, and they're desperate to break the roof to get the paralytic down to Jesus. And their desperation caused them to do something so drastic, so radical, like breaking the, like, they know, okay, we're going to have to pay for this roof. They know we're going to have to fix this for them. But whatever it takes to get to Jesus, we're so desperate that we'll do what it takes. And they begin to make a hole, like, it wasn't just a hole. This was a paralytic lane on a mat. This was a nice-sized gap in the roof. And they laid him down. And the desperation is all over this passage. The the extent of what these friends went through to get their friend to Jesus. I I want you to think about that. 
That when you're at your deepest place of desperation, that you don't care about what people think. How many of you have been to a place where you've been so desperate, so down in life, that, that you get to a point like, I don't even care who knows anymore. I just need to get the help that I need to get already. That's the desperation that they're in. When the marriage, when that couple says, I don't care anymore. We're not going to hide it. We're just going to tell whoever needs to know because we got to get the help that this marriage needs. It's, they've, they've hit a point of desperation. When the addict says, I don't care. I have to open up about my addiction because I got to get the help that I need because if not, I'm going to lose myself. They're at the what? At the point of desperation. Whatever it takes to what? To make me whole. Ever been there? That you've been so desperate for a touch of God, for healing, for the Lord to do something in your life, that you'll do whatever it takes. And the friends did exactly that. At the deepest place of desperation, you'll do what you have to do, and you'll go to where you have to go. You know, I mean, I've seen people say the craziest things, that they have to travel half the world to go drink from a certain water source because they believe that in there, there is, and they'll do it. And they'll spend thousands of dollars to drink from a water source that they'll believe that if they drink from it, it'll heal them. And people will do whatever it needs to happen, whatever it needs to take. People will travel across country to visit that famous doctor that could help me with my sickness, right? Point of desperation is serious. And that's what I see in this story. Why am I exhausting this? Why am I stressing this? Because I want to talk about this man for a moment. Because my attention, yes, it goes to Jesus automatically. But my attention is quickly drawn upon this man. And here's my thoughts. I don't know how this man became a paralytic. How many of you know how he got to this point? Because nowhere in the Bible does it say it. Nowhere in the Bible. I don't know how involved his friends were with him. It seems like they were highly involved in his life. You have to be a good friend if you're carrying him up to the top of the roof. You're going to make a hole, and you're going to drop him down that hole. I mean, those are some, find yourself some good friends like that. For sure, these were some invested friends. I don't know what he's had to endure, what his family's gone through. I know someone that had a successful career and has a beautiful family and two beautiful children. Very successful person. And one day, he went to the beach with his family, with his friends. And he decided to go, what's that called? Uh, when you throw the, the, the surf thing on the, on the wave and you... Skimboarding. And he had a good time, just a good time in shape, physical, children, friends, great career. And he was going skimboarding. And just one day, one day changed the course of his life forever. He skin boards and he had a misstep and he crashed into the sand. And so today he's, he has no movement and he's paralyzed and he has a story. He has a story. He has a story. It wasn't always like that, but he has a story. I think about that. I think about this man. And I know that what has he gone through? What did he have to endure? What has his family gone through? Because I see that now these two kids have a different dad now. This wife has a different relationship with her husband now. Because one day at the beach changed everything for this family. Are you with me? So all I could ask as I read Mark chapter 2 is, well, what's his story? I'm going to get somewhere with this. How did he get to this condition? Maybe he was born like that. Maybe he had an accident. We don't know. But he might have had a story to tell that would lead us to tears of how he got to the place that he's in. Who knows? What's his story? As you read through Mark 2, what's his story? But one thing I can tell you is that this man speaks to us as well. And to us about a person that may be here today, 
maybe someone that's watching right now at this moment, maybe it speaks about all of us. I'm not taking away from this gentleman's handicap and the severity of it. Listen to this. I understand and I'm sensitive to the fact that this is a very difficult situation that I personally do not fully understand. And don't ever look at this man and not consider, as you look at him in Mark 2, whoa, man, this man has a story. But I do want to ask, as we pause here for a moment, and as we pause upon this man, and I look at you guys and I say, but what's your story? Because I'm grabbing two different stories and they could look drastic. But I ask you today, what's your story? Listen what I mean by this. When people walk in here on a Sunday, or whenever I meet someone, Think about that. There's a story there. When people walk in here, when you meet someone, when that person gives you an attitude, when that person is quiet all to themselves, or maybe it's that person that's always loud, or when that person that always seems to create a problem, you know someone like that, so every time that person's around, there's a problem. Whatever it is, all across the board, what's the story behind that person? What's the story there? And I get it. And sometimes I forget because I'm human. But behind every person, there's a story. There's a fascinating story. There's a sad story. There's a comeback story. There's a painful story. There's a happy story. And you are here today and we're celebrating Jesus and we're speaking about resurrection. And we know that story. And we know our Savior's story so well. It's packed with so many emotions, right? Come on, how many of you saw the passion? You laughed, you cried, you smiled, you rejoiced. At the end of the movie, everyone clapped. Everyone stood up in the, in the movies and cheered. But 10 minutes before that cheer, everyone was weeping. It's filled with emotions, the story of our Savior. But you're here today, and what's your story? Maybe there's hurt. Maybe there's pain. Maybe there's death. Maybe there's joy. Maybe there's goodness or loss. Maybe there's heartache. But I know this one thing, that the power of what we believe in and speak of on this day, it is possible for every single person with whatever circumstance we're going through. Whatever your story, if you are in need of a resurrection, there is resurrection power for you. Listen to this. Maybe there was a... There was once movement in your life, and suddenly it stopped. Maybe there was love in your relationship, and now it ceased. There was patience, and now there's nothing but rage in you. You once were filled with tenderness, and now you criticize everything and everyone. Am I speaking to anyone? You were aiming forward, and now there's no aim There's no strength to even lift your bow to the target. Come on, what's your story? What's your story? Maybe you allowed throughout this, that last year of of COVID and everything that it brought, maybe you allowed it to get the best of you rather than allowing it to bring the best out from you. Maybe you allowed that divorce in your life, that separation to bring you down to a dark place where you feel like there's no hope, there's no person that you will ever or can ever share life with, rather than learning from mistakes, working on yourself and becoming a better you. Think about it. What's your story? Maybe you lost someone this year. It was through death or they walked away from you. Maybe they moved. Who knows? But you've been, but, but, but the question is, wait a minute. Have you been able to love again? Have you been, have you been able to, to put your energy towards someone, walk into someone else's life, make effort to be a part of something else and someone else? Many people during this season lost their jobs or took pay cuts. Is there anything that the Lord wants to do? Is he giving you more time for something else? Is he asking you to make changes in your life? I want you today, if you're going to come here and leave here today, just answer this. What's my story? What's my story? For weeks past, we spoke on we can conquer it. We can conquer it. And this man on this mat, too many people will look at him and they'll just feel sorry for him. But sorry is not what he needs. Sorry is not what he needs. I am sure that this man is battling even his own sorry at time. This man on his mat, 
Many may look at him and say, how will he ever overcome? This man, as he's being brought down from the house, how will this man ever conquer? Come on, what would you do? What would you do? And I look at this man, he speaks to us, he speaks to me, many of us still today. I get it. He's a paralytic. He's laying on this. They want him to be healed. But I've walked long enough on this earth to have learned that there are people that can be more agile than this man, but it doesn't mean they're going anywhere. My concern is not that he's paralytic. My concern is that he's paralytic and he's going to draw now to the heart of Jesus and there's people that are not paralytic and they haven't touched Christ's heart yet. But this man is about to touch the heart of Christ. That's what wows me about this story. That's what wows me and that's what, that's what gets me because that's the truth. Many people can speak and there are some that don't have, con- they have certain conditions that they're not able to speak. We have that in our very own family. When we have a niece that necessarily can't speak and can't give out words and can't bring out her words and we understand the frustration of that. And there's people that, that, that can speak and And there's others that don't have that opportunity to speak. But it doesn't mean those that are speaking are actually saying anything at all. (laughs) I've seen many give their all to the Lord. And suddenly as they're giving themselves to the Lord, they just stop. They become inactive. It's a condition that strikes many believers. Have you found yourself suddenly at a stop? At inactive? At a place where maybe there's no vision Where you're unable to act. Here's the question again. What's your story? Because if you find yourself in any of those things. Then I'm telling you. It's your time to resurrect. It's your time to overcome. It's your time to conquer. Because there's no way. That the Lord wants you to be. At the place where you're at. Where there's nothing coming out from you. The Lord wants that from you. And I've learned. That to be paralyzed is more dangerous and has greater implications when it's spiritual, not necessarily physical. Reason being is, if you keep reading, which we will in verse 5, he heals the man from his sin, from his spiritual condition, way before he heals the man's legs from his physical condition. He was going to deal with the paralyzed spirit rather than the paralyzed physical body. Because you can get to places with legs that don't work. But you can't get to places with the spirit which is dead. Which is spirit which is paralyzed. The word paralyzed means to bring to a condition a hopeless stoppage, inactivity, inability to act, to render someone unable to think or act normally, especially through panic or fear. I feel like that's what's happened. A lot of panic and a lot of fear have caused people to what? To maybe become inactive and maybe to what? To become just paralyzed in their spiritual walk. And what a time in 2021 to say, no, there's resurrection for this time. What's your story? Have you not been able to think or act normal because of fear? How many of you have had something happen to you and you know, you know that you know that deep down inside you are not where Christ has you going. You're not at the place where Christ wants you to be at. You know that there's decisions. You know that there's sacrifices. There's things to count the cost. You know it. Come on. How many of you, what's your story? You're not able to think or act normally. Maybe because of fear. Have you come to a sudden stop? Are you inactive? What is your condition? And this is what we're doing today. It's, it's, it's bigger than Easter. It's resurrection. And we say happy resurrection. Because what is this Easter day? This resurrection day? What is it really all about? It's the great news that you can conquer. You can triumph. Yes, you can overcome again. And that there is resurrection for you. In whatever state that you're in. Let's read verses 5 through 12. It's a powerful end of what happened here. Remember, he's coming down through the roof. And it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven you. How many times have we shared this? Because if, I've said this before, right? If I'm going through all this work and I'm sweating and I'm all dirty and I broke, I have to pay for this roof. I just broke this roof. And I'm looking down. 
Hey, what did he say? He said my sins are forgiven. You're the friend on the roof. Right, but has he gotten you off from the mat yet? Because that, like, that's what I really want to know. Has, have you risen up from the mat yet? Has, has he healed you from? And Jesus is teaching something so deep here. Son, your sins are forgiven. I love that he calls him son. I love that he calls him son. Immediately he gives him the title that he is. He calls him son. He doesn't call him by name. He doesn't call him anything else. He calls him just as he sees him. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. So the religious leaders, like the scribes, are sitting there in verse 6. And they begin to question and reason in their hearts. Why does this man blaspheme? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Can you imagine being before the very presence of God and not recognizing that you are in the presence of greatness? That you are in the presence of God. Immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves. And he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. He's presenting two things to the religious leaders. One is physical, one is spiritual. One can be a miracle that maybe a man can do. But one is a miracle that only God can do. See, man can't save any, another man's soul. Only God in Christ is it only possible to save another man's soul. So he presents these two outcomes and he says, what's better? What's, what's more difficult? Can I do the work of a man or can I do the work of God? In verse 11 he says this, he says, so I'll say to you, actually verse 10, he says, but that you could know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He says now to the paralytic in verse 11, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. You arise, take up your bed, and go to your house and walk so that I could show them that I actually have the power not to heal you from your condition, but to forgive you of your sins. Immediately, verse 12 says, he arose, he took up the bed, and he went out in the presence of them all. So all that were amazed and glorified God, and they said, we've never have seen anything like this. Love this story. And here it is today. Here's triumph, here's conquering, here's overcoming, here's comeback, here's healing, here's resurrection. It's here today. That Jesus can touch you both physically and very importantly, spiritually and instantly. A man can change just like that. So what was it that men like Elisha, Elijah, men like this, stories that I hear, men that we mentioned, that were used in such a way that were able to take a hold of that which is dead and cause it to live again. What is it? And all I could say and all I could define this as and answer this is they had resurrection power. And the reason why they had resurrection power is because they had Jesus. They triumphed. They overcame. They conquered so much because they had Jesus your triumph, your overcoming today, your victory today, your success, as we shared early, your, earlier, your joy over victory and success, it is only found in Jesus. Think about the life of Jesus. Here's a man that's in this house and looks at this man that is brought down on a mat and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. They begin to murmur and complain. He's like, so you could believe that I'm able to forgive his sins. Watch this. Pick up your bed and go home. Here is this man that in just some time forward, you look at his life as it's recorded in the gospel. He starts his public ministry. We know that as we read it here in Mark 2. We see that there's no wrong found in Jesus. Find me where in scripture you can find the wrong in Jesus. We'll debate about it. I haven't found one yet. He lives as an innocent man. Scripture teaches us that. But never do I look at his innocence as weakness. 
as innocent man, holy man, I see it as strength. He was wise, he was powerful, he was brilliantly spoken. I said last week he was no ordinary man, no ordinary king. He was extraordinary and he continues to be today. Let's talk about Jesus for a moment. His own rejected him. The leaders despised him. One of his closest friends betrayed him. They scourged him in ways that we ourselves would probably not be able to survive. They mocked him as a self-proclaimed king. They put a robe on him as he, they drew him naked. They made him parade around like a lunatic. They put a fake crown of him with thorns, very, very massive thorns that penetrated through his skull. Blood poured from the gashes on his back, the punctures on his head. This is Jesus we're speaking about. The same man that is doing a miracle in this man's life is now the same man that is going to endure enduring this pain. He receives punches in his face, kicks to his stomach. Then they give him a cross to bear through the town till he reaches his execution. They nailed his hands and feet and they began to suffocate him slowly while harassing him, beating him, mocking him, crying out, Hey, son of God, if you are who you say you are, come on, save yourself. But Jesus didn't say one word. And in return, he didn't strike back with malice, despite all these things he was going through. Instead, he said some weird things, seven bold statements, one of them like this, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. What would you say? And then he dies on what we would call Good Friday. And today's Sunday, on that third day, when they went to check on the tomb, the angel says, what are you looking for? He's no longer here. And I look at this right here, and I'm leaving a lot of details out. But here lies the greatest story. The greatest story ever is his story. And the greatest story ever, which is his story, is my story. And his death and resurrection becomes my hope. If you ask me today, what's my story? Come on, ask me today. What's my story? What's your story? I can't say and I can't answer it better than this. My story is woven with his. My, woven, my story is together with his. What do I mean by that? His death becomes my death. His resurrection becomes my resurrection. Oh, is that biblical? It sure is. Romans 6. I'm just going to fly through it. Verse 4 through 11, it says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. We've been united with him in his death. Amen? And we're also our old sinful selves was crucified with Christ so that sin may lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. His story becomes our story. His triumph becomes my triumph. Hell does not triumph. Sin does not triumph. I now have the final victory. And Ephesians 2 says, verse 6, we've been raised up with him and we've been seated with him in heavenly places. That's my story. Luke 10, 19 says, behold, I give you authority to tread over serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. That's my story. Mark 16, 15 to 20, and he said, go, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the crea all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord said, Jesus, then the Lord Jesus after this, spoke to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out, they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. That's my story. We go to homes and we cast out demons. We go to hospitals and we lay hands on the sick. We come together and we preach the gospel. What's your calling in life? My calling is his calling. His story is my story. There is no other objective in my life. That's my story. Come on. What's your story? 
There's nowhere else I could go to. There's nowhere else I could run. There's nowhere else I could look back to. It's this. This is my story. And the question is to all of us, to all of you, well, what's yours? Where are you at? What do you got to bounce back from? What is God calling you to? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close up and end, but I want to share two things before I close up and end. I think I've shared this before. I'm not sure, but I found this. It's a book of Proverbs, and it's commentary on the book of Proverbs. Paul Larson writes this commentary, and, 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 and there's this quote in this book of commentary on, on, the, on Proverbs, and this is what he says. You're going to enjoy this. There may be another Homer. There may be another Virgil. There may be another Dante. There may be another Milton, but there will never be another Jesus. Whatever surprises there may be in store for the world, Jesus will never be surpassed. He is the goal of all goodness, the summit of all thought, the crown of all character, and the perfection of all beauty. He is the incarnation of all tenderness, the focalization of force, the manifestation of might, the personification of power, the concentration of character, the materialization of thought, and the living illustration of all truth. He is the prophecy of man's possibility. We behold him, and in him we see the realization of all human expectation, a leader greater than Moses, a priest greater than Aaron, a king greater than David, a commander greater than Joshua, a philosopher greater than Solomon, than a prophet, um, a prophet greater than Elijah. He was like a man. He talks like a God. He talks like God. His works are oracles. His acts are miracles. The crown of divinity rests on his brow. The scepter of universal dominion clings to his hand. The eternities flash in his eyes. Eternal rectitude is written in his face. The smile of Jehovah transforms his countenance. He is the express image of his father. Children cluster at his feet. Womanhood instinctively places the crown of purity on his brow. The winds obey him. A glance from his eye and the crystal waters blush to amber wine. The dead forget themselves and live. The lame leap for joy. Ears which never heard thirst for the very sound of his voice. And sightless eyes deny their past and open their drooping lids to the beauty of his presence. Pain, palsied at his touch, vanishes. The name of Jesus stands alone. God has given him a name which is above every name. No creed can contain him. No catechism can expound him. Flesh of our flesh. Very God of our very God. To be a Christian is to live in Christ. Unto him be glory, dominion, power forever and ever. Amen. That's who it is. That's our story. Jesus Christ. We triumph in him. We overcome in him. My story must be in him. For all of you that may be in it. And you know that this is for you. And you're like, there's a resurrection for me today. I want to quote the 26th president of the United States. Theodore Roosevelt. And I quote him. He says, it's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, whose errors come short again and again because there is not effort without error and shortcomings but who does not actually strive to do the deed, who knows the great enthusiasm, the great devotion, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. For the ones in the arena, for the ones who keep fighting, for the ones who keep going forward, for the one that when you look at them, their beauty is found through sweat, through tears, and through blood. Because they fight the good fight. What's your story? Come on, what do you have to lose? No more hopelessness. No more feeling helpless. Normal inactivity and unable to act. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, I'm in need of a resurrection.
I need Christ to triumph in me. I need Christ to resurrect in me so that I can have victory, success, and not only that, but that I can have joy in my victories and in my success. Can you stand with me on this morning? Lord, I pray that we would just examine ourselves here together, Lord, and examine our own lives right now. Lord, where are we? What's our story? Maybe there's someone here that says, I'm just going to give up. Maybe there's someone here whose faith has wavered. Maybe someone here that or watching that has no more vision for themselves, for their family. Maybe they've lost strength. They feel all hope is gone. Come on, as you just meditate there for a moment and just examine yourself, I want you to think about that. I can't even imagine, Lord, what it was on Friday evening and waking up on Saturday and going through Saturday knowing that our leader, our master, our savior just died. And there is no evidence of him being alive. Everything that we've just done for all these years together with him in this region, was it a waste? Was it worth it? I'm sure on Saturday, what we know of it for sure. Instantly, many were left hopeless. Many returned back to their common life, their ordinary life. Many returned back to habits and lifestyles that God had took, took them away from, stripped them from. But Sunday, when those women went to the tomb, and the angel said, why do you seek the living amongst the dead? He's not here. As Peter and John go running to the tomb to see if what they've heard is really true, they, they too have an encounter and they see that the body of Jesus, that he's not there. And what a sight that was that when they're gathering together, Jesus makes an appearance. And he shows up and he says, why do you fear? For I told you that these things are to happen. And he to officially, to officially just tell him, stay here. Stay in Jerusalem. For the Holy Spirit will come now. And will baptize you and fill you and give you boldness. And you are going to change the world. And this world will never be the same. Because of the work of Christ through you men, through you women. But Lord, I can't think that, that before that resurrection, before all that miracle that you did, Lord God, there was that moment of silence, the moment of pain, the moment of hurt, the moment of loss, the moment of difficulty. But Lord, on that third day, you showed not only on my life, but I am also resurrection. So if you come to know me, you will live if you come to know me, you will also resurrect. My story becomes your story. My story becomes yours. So today, if you feel like it's been enough and you feel like you've been weary and you feel like you're too tired, or you feel like I'm telling you today, whatever your story, there is a Christ and there's a resurrection that is just for you at this very moment in your life. I hope right there where you're at, you could say yes and amen. Yes and amen. Come on right there, spend the moment. If that's you, give it to him. And say, Lord, I, I give you my heart. Come on, you pray to God. You receive that resurrection power.
friendships, marriages, businesses, our own spiritual life, resurrection. Resurrection. Hallelujah.